Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Fresh Meat. This is a podcast where creativity meets chaos, great minds are speaking up, and lines might or might not be crossed. In the wonderful world of comms, we are basically here to switch things up, change the perspective, and maybe learn a thing or two along the way. So turn it up and enjoy. For today's episode, I'm once again joined by the MD and partner of Manifest Stockholm Studio, aka my boss, Anna Carlson, but also the CEO and co-founder of my telescope, Rodrigo Gravitz. Oh, I was you really saying that kind of sexy, Rodrigo Gravitz. I don't know if I should do that. <laughs> Rodrigo has a long experience both in analysis and communication. So he began his career in the financial business and has since then worked as a creative director. He started advertising agency Gravitz before co-founding Gravitz Telescope, which today is my telescope. And now he's here. So give it up for, I have to do it again, Rodrigo Gravitz. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. It's so fun to have you here. And it's it's such a coincidence because Anna, Rodrigo, you guys got connected through Another guy. Yes. Christopher. Colin Christopher, yeah. Yeah. So how did that come about? Like how how did that even work? How did you did you start talking about Rodrigo? Is that what happened? Oh yes, actually we did in the <laughs> first doesn't? meeting. Exactly. <laughs> the center of all conversations. Of course he is. is of all course come is. back to you. No, but we've met a couple of times during the years through a lot of different engagements from Christopher and then now he's your colleague at my telescopes, right? Yeah, exactly. He started to work with us uh, almost a year ago. Cool. But I knew him from Strategy Awards, and he, he was a sales guy, actually, at DN, mm. the newspaper. And uh, I was running an ad agency, and he wanted me to put an ad in the paper. And we did that, and since then, we've been connected. That's cool. Yeah. The world. The world the keeps connecting world, people yeah. in the weirdest ways. And now you're here, and we're going to talk about my telescope. We're going to talk about what it is, what you guys do about share of search and all all things. But I think we should just, for those who don't know you, we've done a slightly, like a short intro about you. Can you tell us about what you've done before and how it came about that you started my telescope in like in the first place? Sure. Uh, I started my, my career within actually music and realized I wasn't a good musician as <laughs> I thought I was, um, <laughs> but that I was really, really good at promoting the stuff. So I started to basically study uh, communications and marketing uh, after that because I realized that that was something I really wanted to do. However, during my career, I've met so many CEOs, CFOs, and like leadership people that don't understand marketing or brand. They all understand the concept and why it's important, but they kind of have a hard time rationalizing on why they should put budgets behind it. So I was trying to figure out like how can we measure stuff so that top of the funnel activities actually can be proven to have a correlation to business results. So that was kind of the idea of the problem we wanted to solve mm. with my telescope. And in between in my career, I've been a financial analyst. So I actually went from music industry to work in the finance side of the world to be a data analyst and then moved into the branding side and building brands and PR and stuff. So I think I also kind of I've always understood the value of data and having numbers to tell stories, but I didn't really like it because I think it's more fun to come up with like kind of creative concepts. Yes. So I think when you confuse the two, I think you have a very, very strong proposition to the market. Uh, but I think the challenge has been for many like advertisers or marketeers or communicators is that like, how do you prove internally 
that your work is worthwhile investing even more. Mm. Cool. Cool. And that's my telescope then. Yeah, that's kind of what my telescope, well, it's the foundation of solving that problem. Then what we have done is that if you think about how we've been collecting data on human behavior before, mm-hmm. has been always by asking questions or observing. And I think the cool thing with search data is that it's actually a way of observing people without people knowing they are being observed. And I'm not saying it in a creepy way. I think I was actually... like, it sounds a bit creepy. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm into it. Uh, but I, I, when I studied sociology, it was kind of you had to sit in a, cof- in a cafe a cafe, and like kind of observe people. Mm. And then you would go home and tell a story about what you had seen. Mm. I think the cool thing with search data is that it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, People are searching for different stuff. They are showing their interest and their intent for stuff. And that's a really, really interesting story about humans. Yeah. And the challenge with all the other data that we've been using in the past to get the same story has been by asking people questions. Yeah. And as you all know, normally when you answer a question, you tell a story about what you want other pe- other people to hear. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really, really hard to ask a question without being broad enough to get a very broad answer, answer yeah. but at the same time getting to know what you actually want to know. Mm. So when we started to build my telescope, we realized like we can't really use kind of classical panel data or opinion polls because people don't tell what they do and they don't normally don't mean what they say either. So we wanted to find a data set that basically was observing human behavior mm. in an aggregated way. Because mm. that I think if you want to understand from a business point of view, it's not really that important on the individual point of view i think the trends and the effects are more interesting to look at on an aggregated level mm. of where people are going i think right now the world is a bit too obsessed in looking into individuals yeah uh, and and i think it doesn't really tell much of a story of a totality it just tells maybe a story of that single person single at person, that yeah. given second and that's interesting we've been talking in like at manifest about share of search and search inside like that for so long that all the and you can see that if you look at insights from uh, like open sources even so social media or what's what the media is covering or even like the classical surveys or poll data like that because then you know what you're answering or otherwise you choose what you say officially on a social platform for mm. example uh, or even in a conversation when you search for an answer about something or you always search for something it could be an answer to a question it could be information it could be anything but you're looking actually to find an answer to something Mm -hmm. that's on your mind but then you don't care because no one would know that you're searching for this Mm -hmm. which is interesting as well because you can see something you wouldn't speak of publicly but a lot of people do search for it so it could be a very real issue or a problem or a stigma and that's really insightful for us both in that kind of work but then building brands building strategies building campaign work that actually will make a difference, then you need to know what difference to make, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool because it's not only that you're listening to something, well, it's real issues being discussed in a way in the search world. Yeah, I think the hard part, I suppose, like everything when you do an analysis, is like to know where to start. Mm, yeah. Like what is the hypothesis that you might have? And that you want to have an answer to and that you're looking for these signals that might give you an aggregate view of where the trend is going. 
and a lot of times I think we also don't trust our own gut feeling. I can, when we started my telescope, we wanted like many others, when you start a company to get PR and we started the, uh, our story started with COVID. Mm. So a lot of stuff was happening around us and we was like, but wait, can we use the data and our tool to kind of predict how the pandemic is moving around the world? And just saying that question to yourself and having that hypothesis was like, nah, <laughs> it sounds like, you know, who do we think we are? Can we really do that? <laughs> are we really that great? <laughs> Where's yes, the data? Yeah, you know, is the data that good? Or, you know, but we started to test and we looked at the World Health Organization's like uh, data sets on uh, real numbers. And we mm. started to correlate the search data towards that. And we could basically predict with the three months ahead where it was moving. By people looking for, like, fever or mm. uh, that they were sneezing or, you know, stuff like that were related to COVID. And that was kind of mind-blowing when we started to see that e those search terms with low volume were actually the most interesting one for the from an insights point of view. Because the moment they had a lot of volume was because that it had reached kind of its peak. Yeah. Mm. Um but I think we never would have found it if we didn't have the hypothesis of like, can you use the data set to predict the movement? Mm. And I think a lot of the work with, I don't, I don't think actually it is only with search data. I think it's in general when you do like analysis and understanding of the world, it's like come in with a true and hypothesis and start to test from that. Because I think too many people just like, but I just want an insight. I just yeah. want an answer. Mm. But they're not prepared to do the work of doing that digging and having the, doing the work of the hypothesis. And I think that's where consultants like yourself or agencies or others, professionals are really good to go to. Mm. Because, for example, our tool is not better than the people using it. Yeah. So I think in the end, it's kind of, and I think that's kind of cool with the data we have now, but also with technology, right? When you start to mix mm. the creativity of people and the usage of tools like my telescope to find out kind of new insights. Speaking about mixing things, do you think we need a bit of both? Do you think we need, so in the, when looking at COVID, it was obviously real, you needed the data to see it because, you know, people did the searches. But when it comes to behaviors and, and how people are acting, do you think we need both the questions for them to answer to know who they want to be as well as the data of who they are? Do you think that combination can be useful when working with communication and, and advertising? I think the, I mean, the reason why we needed it for COVID was to kind of prove that the numbers we had were true. Because mm. I think the biggest challenge normally with forecasting is that it's basically like saying, I'm side I can look into the future, right? Which means that you won't believe it. Yeah. So you need, if you have a proof point, it's much easier to convince the people around you that your barom barometer or your, you know, your index is pointing into the right direction. Mm. So I think it's more for that, that you actually need the source of truth. Yeah. But I think over time, we're going to overcome that. And we're going to see that, okay, I'm going to start trusting you guys. And then I'm going to, you're showing me a data set that is pointing into towards direction, say, of, of a behavioral change. And I'm going to trust that. But I think it's like everything, right? I mean, in the beginning, nobody believed that the world was round because nobody could see it. And Some we, people still don't believe it, <laughs> just <No>. saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, and exactly, because, because and, and I think that's because 
or some people believe in some gods or not because they haven't seen it. But it comes to a tipping point mm. where you decide that, you know what, there's enough people believing in the same thing. So the group takes you there. And yeah. I think the same thing goes for communications that you need both now to prove a point. But when you've built enough clout with your customer, they will believe you just because they would have believed your gut feeling. Mm. Yeah, probably. I mean, I just think it's so, there's so many things about searching that I'm curious about. Like, is it legal to look at all the search? You know, all the, because it feels kind of, to me, I'm, I'm, I love technology. I'm not good at technology, but I, I like it and it's supporting me in my daily life. But it might feel like a bit intrusive to know that someone can grab all my data. You know what I mean? Like, how, how does that affect people's way of searching? Do we think that people will get more conscious when they search if they know that they someone can take your data? I I think you probably, I don't know. I was too, I mean, I wasn't even alive, but I know my parents, when they moved to Sweden, said, because it was that the phones were tapped yeah. in Sweden. I think they were in many countries, especially when they had immigrants from other countries coming, like for political reasons. Mm. And I asked them, did you change the way you talked over the phone? And they were like, no, because I didn't have anything to hide. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me, it's kind of the same, that integrity is really, really important. But now I'm just talking about myself because I don't know what the rest of the world thinks. But as long as I don't feel I have anything to hide, why would I change my behavior? Mm. Then, of course, I understand that they are using that data for commercial reasons. So basically, every time I look for, I don't know, champagne or wine or whatever and then there will come a lot of like ads yeah. based on that so i think that will probably make a bigger shift i think in how people are using search engines because they feel but it's more because they feel the intrusion mm. that i talked about a car and all of a sudden i have car ads following me for you know forever I go. forever <laughs> yeah uh, and i'm not really that interested so i think that is actually going to shape the way people are searching, I think, more than the private, you know, the, yeah. on the other hand, they should actually be caring much more about the privacy part. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. This is a piece of education, guys. <laughs> but but we don't, right? And I think maybe Web 3.0, when we, I mean, now with GDPR, mm. that we're all going to own our own kind of data. Yeah. Mm. Of course, the data is going to become much... I mean, it's always been a currency because right now with Google, we're giving them our data because we can use their engine to search yeah, for yeah. stuff or use their Gmail or other, mm. you know. And I suppose, and I don't know, but I think with uh, hopefully with Web 3.0, we as consumers will become more knowledgeable about the value that we're... and the transactional value we mm. could actually have with the data we carry around. I think also the how how it's used is interesting because in search for example you're just one of millions when you look at that data and mm -hmm. then that's used for insight for example or used to predict the mm -hmm. patterns of a pandemic or whatever it might be that the question would be when you're looking at this data and that's quite fine because i'm one in a million with my searches for example rather than answering a survey or answering because that's you in the spotlight. Mm. So that's also behavior-wise. I mean, I would act the part of life I want to play in a survey more so than searching because then I'm not in the spotlight. 
And that still stands, though, for search. So it's not kind of, you're not single out, singled out, swinglish incoming. But you're not that kind of, you don't feel like under, you're not being watched in that sense. Yeah. I mean, that I could be a difference in behavior. Definitely. And I think it's just it's just a matter of how conscious you are and how aware you are of, of what is happening and, and what you're searching for and not. And I think for me now speaking to you about this, I'll definitely be more aware, like at least for two weeks, maybe then I'll probably forget about if it. Even that. <laughs> if, if, if even that. But but I think you might have these small epiphanies of like, okay, everyone is tracking what I'm doing. Everyone knows what I'm searching for every now and then because it's so apparent in life. Speaking about the ads that mm-hmm. keeps popping up. And I know sometimes when we work and I, I work with um, a Norwegian company, I got all things on on Norwegian on my like, like computer. And it's, I'm Swedish. I am in Sweden, but I get all these Norwegian stuff that I don't need. And that's like, I think it got kind of creepy in a way because they're targeting me like that. So even if I'm not singled out by millions of people, I still feel a bit targeted and singled out because they give all these ads to me about the the one thing I searched for. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's why that's why I think I can feel singled out even though I'm one in a million. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's it's the what I get and what you guys take. That's the difference for me when it comes to search and when it comes to collecting the data. And it's going to be interesting based on this, what we're talking about now, if you think about that Netflix and Disney and the others now going to add advertising yeah. to uh, to their kind of apps. And if you think about it, we all been paying now not to get ads, mm. but we're now willing, maybe we'll see how it goes, but I suppose it will work to go back to basically it's the old TV model, right? Where yeah. you kind of watch entertainment, but you have to pay by getting ads served. And I suppose that everything comes back to the kind of the value exchange, what I get yeah. back. So if if the ads are intrusive, of course, I'll say like, ah, oh, leave me alone. I prefer to pay more for the service mm. or I'll skip using the service at all. But I remember when, when I grew up, you went to the cinema because you wanted to see the advertising and the advertisers really did really good commercials and they were specially made for you to see them in the cinema. Mm. And then it was like part of the whole feeling of going to watch a movies with your parents or whatever it was. It was a Super Bowl back in the yeah, day. Exactly. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of interesting of the value exchange. And I think what when it comes to search data or ads or whatever, I think that the challenge has been going back to that technology have allowed us to be intrusive. Yeah. without you going to jail. Because if you would follow me around every day for three weeks as a stalker, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> would, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> All the influencers would have like millions of people just walking behind them. <laughs> you know, that would, have, <laughs> that would be scary, right? Yeah. And you would probably be in jail because you would be a stalker. But in technology, we are okay to do that because we found a way to kind of beat the system. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I think the reason why you have like the death of cookies and, you know, ad blockers and all of that is because the value exchange wasn't there yeah. and the consumer lost power. Mm. So we went to the lawmakers and the policymakers to have them to do something about it. it. And I think with search data, I think you're probably going to see the same. Mm. And if you 
like now look at Google, who's basically the pioneers in this, because let's not forget they're not the only ones. I mean, you search everywhere today, yeah. and even everywhere there's a search bar you're searching, right? But I think Google right now, they're remaking their whole search experience because they realized that the value exchange was kind of broken. Yeah. So people were leaving their platform for other platforms. Mm. So I suppose that as long as we have that, you're going to be okay to give away your privacy data. Mm. And I think, but you can see more and more tools, right? Where you do incognito and... and Oh, yeah, Mm. definitely. I think what we're talking about now is also when we experience the insights being used in a way we don't prefer. So like hunting people down, it's ads, ads, ads. It's no kind of bigger picture. It's just sales driven without, potentially without even a purpose. But what's interesting is when you can use the search data, as you mentioned before, to predict patterns of a pandemic or to search for stigmas or issues in real people's lives, real people, like real life problems. And then you build purpose-driven brands or campaigns that actually solve or like work for positive behavioral change rather than just like, oh, you looked for this. Now you will <laughs> receive my car ad for 25. But also if you did and you did purchase, you have made that purchase. Please stop hunting me kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's different how we look at the also the opportunities, I guess, because the opportunity is there to actually hunt someone down but also to make a real positive impact through this data. So it's easier to see the quick sell, but it's more interesting to look at what you can actually do if you look at that kind of, if you look at it That's in that sure. sense. I, I think what has happened, I mean, if you think about like SEO, SEM has been using search data yeah, for decades, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been doing it since the beginning of, I don't know, Google or whatever, but I think we're the interesting part, as you say, is that you were using the same type of data set for a new use case and finding, using it for intelligence purposes to understand strategic issues and questions and not only to convert the traffic mm. into yeah. a purchase or an action. Here is more like observing. So it's using the same data set in another way mm. than it used to. And I think for me, that's super interesting that but it's also strange that it took so long before we started to do that, because from a commercial point of view, it's been used to convert traffic for ages. Mm. And now it's, I mean, it's now the last two years that people have been talking about it more openly, how to use search data as an alternative data set to understand where the world is going or from other type of like strategic uh, yeah. point of view. Which is quite interesting because as you say, it's like tapping into someone's mind to really see what's going on the people need answering it's quite cool but also it's cool that you mentioned like the google model because before it was a search engine from the start mm-hmm. and also being so successful because they're really putting the user in place because if you don't get the answer you need in the like top results you will stop using that as your go-to search engine basically and they've been able to keep that all through ads and all through everything as well because if the user if someone pays to get in the high result, but then the user doesn't click or the user doesn't stay on that site, they will then lose. And mm-hmm. someone else that even pays less will get that first position because mm-hmm. otherwise they won't be kind of the world's most used search engine, which is quite a cool model. But when they started building out, please don't leave, that's where it got kind of messy yeah. for them. So they wanted to keep it. I know we've talked about this, Rosanna, before as well. So when yeah. you try to like keep people or restrain people from... Mm-hmm 
whatever it might be. So they wanted you to be able to book um, trips or hotels or whatever you were searching for, you could book without ever leaving the mm-hmm. uh, the site, which was convenient at first, but then it becomes, it, it didn't work out at the end when they didn't allow people to actually leave, which was what the search engine was built for yeah. to begin with. So it's interesting to to see now what will be then next steps. I think, for, I don't know, I mean, I think well, for me, if I just see the flip side of it, like, or not flip side, sorry, the back side of it, is that I think the challenge with Google today is that everything is so filtered out to be rele- relevant on what they think is relevant for you. So if I want to find something from another perspective, it's impossible mm. to get that perspective in Google if you don't kind of do it incognito or fool the system that you're in another country or, you know, because I'm realizing now, like, I want to do searches on what's happening in the US. Mm. But everything comes from like a Swedish filter. Yeah. I want to know from an American point of view, I get a perspective so that I can learn something from it. And and I think that's been really, really hard to like, how do you get around to get the information how I want it? Mm. And that's kind of something we have in my telescope is that we have the raw search data. Mm. So in that sense, when you look at, okay, if I put topic X or brand X in our in our engine, you will get the raw search terms and key and keywords. So in that sense, it gives me a much more, how do you say, Natural. overview oh. uh, and kind of like a true story. It's not filtered around what I want to know, but basically, okay, when I put chicken, yeah, what are people looking for when it comes to chicken? Mm. But if I would have put in chicken on my own on Google, it would have been probably chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets, for maybe. One hundred percent. And I think that's kind of interesting to when you look at the raw data mm. is that you get that perspective uh, of the world. And I think for me, at least, what I want to solve over time is like how can we build an engine where you can collect perspectives from different angles. Mm. And I think that was kind of the work that once upon a time libraries used to have, that you would go there and you would kind of find the facts and you would ask a librarian to ask you to find these different, you know, point of views. And I was listening the other day about some books that people want them to ban them from libraries in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a very democratic issue because then it's like, which books are okay to yeah. have in the library? And which are, are so. yeah, like yeah, exactly. who decides mm. what's what's good and what's bad? But That's... this is something we accept on Google, though. Yeah, we do because we we get the data, we the filter, you know, because we don't even have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. I think the that's the biggest mis kind of misunderstanding, not misunderstanding, but what we tend to the lack of knowledge, not, not want to know. Living in a country like Sweden, for example, is that we think that everything is neutral, like all information we consume is non kind of politicized or not filtered, not filtered. It's like super, super not, and it's just not anywhere <laughs> so and that's again another another conversation on who says what's correct but yeah, yeah exactly but interesting so and for brands then we talked about branding in the start so and we talked about also using search in a way to like using it for quick ads for example so just trying to convert easily and quickly but not like having a higher purpose or something we see typically that if you then stop advertising you don't exist so that's why we love brands and to build brands yeah. actually with a higher purpose and actual actual meaning uh to to drive change and you seem to do so as well 
To be honest, I, I think you, we as consultants can never build a brand with a purpose because I think it's the company has a purpose or not. And the highest purpose of a company is to make money and pay their taxes and make sure that the employees don't have, uh, you know, are not abused. And hopefully that they actually do the right thing in the markets they're in. I think for me, that a purpose of a company in the end is to make money and not to be a bad, how do you say, person in the society they live in. Mm. Uh, and I believe that the whole thing of purpose is a way of washing brands that don't do their work properly. Because if you look at companies that actually pay their taxes, do their work, do whatever they need to do, they don't have to build a extra purpose on the side. I think the brands, when you can communicate the real purpose that they had from the beginning, then it becomes really, really strong. And I think, for example, a company like Nike, I mean, their purpose, if you read the books, I had, don't know them, so it's just based on books, right? So I have no idea. But like Phil Knight and his idea to, to wanting to people to run more, exercise, and, you know, that is then he had a real purpose, which was getting people to exercise. Then you can probably discuss many hours if he, you know, everything around the brands and how they've used it and how they've gone to market. But I think you can still see in how Nike acts, for example, with the whole Copernic campaigns when taking a knee that they dare to take a stand. Yeah. But they can do it because it's in their DNA mm. from the beginning. And I think the whole discussion... And I'm not saying that you guys said that. I'm just saying that the whole discussion about purpose yeah. has been very much like, how do we add a purpose yeah. oh, no, I agree with you. to yeah. someone instead of looking into like, what is the foundation? What does it come from? Uh, and I think that doesn't mean a company can't change, but they then really have to do it all the way to the core. Mm. They can't fake it. And, and the shareholders kind of have to agree on it because yeah. it, it can't be just a story. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's that's so interesting because we we build brands that can change the world at Manifest. <laughs> so that's what we do. So we talk so much about purpose and having a higher cost with all of our clients. And I think some some brands that we talk to want to have a higher purpose. It's just hard for them to articulate what it is. The idea is there, but it's hard for them to put it into words. So that's when they need us to support them to build that brand. And then there are other brands that say that they have kind of a, like a bigger cost or a higher purpose, but it doesn't it doesn't run through the company at all. And, and no one knows it and no one understands it. It's just for comms. But that's who we chose to not work with. And I think what's tricky for the for the audience is realizing who to trust, like who has really a, a higher cost and a bigger purpose, because we do see that people tend to choose someone that is connected to their own values like that is a real thing and that is like just keeps growing right and who does not and do you think using data like using my telescope can support that in when looking for the higher cost of a brand if we can see what people are actually wanting to see i think what you can do is maybe find the match yeah because i think once again i think you have to as you said yourself i think you have to first look at the higher cost does it exist in the company already, do they? I mean, what's the reason for being there, right? Reason to exist. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so and why? I mean, as, as I said, I think a company's main reason is to make money, uh, which might sound very harsh, but that's the fact. If not, you would be an NGO or something else. Mm. 
but then there might be a reason why they wanted to make money. Maybe they wanted to, and I think it comes back to solving problems. And I think in the end, a comp companies we like that create products or services that we like is because they solve a problem that we really can match, have, find a match to. Yeah. I mean, why do I go to Netflix or HBO? It's maybe not because they solve a problem, but they solve a problem in the way that I want to be entertained. Exactly. You're not bored anymore. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that per se, it might be, you know, they might be better than others to make me smile or make me sad or make me feel. Mm. So So I think the hard part is like, if we talk about purpose, like what do we mean by the word purpose? And I think that's kind of what I feel it's kind of, yeah, it's the definition of it. What mm. do we mean by it? And I think that's the first. So, and that's something you have to find in the company. Definitely. I think what you can find by looking at the data is like, okay, does that match to what the world is looking for? But that doesn't mean that I think a good company should always, because a company sets a trend, right? Because a lot of times we as users or as consumers, we don't know exactly we know we have a problem to solve. Sometimes we know, but sometimes we don't even know we have that problem. Yeah, right? I think we do, but it's late. How do you say it? in Swedish? You say latent. I don't know how you say it in the yeah. English. It's it's you in you. <laughs> it's in you, but you don't You're realize it yet. Or you kind of like don't know that there's a solution for it. So you have kind of given up. Yeah. And I think for us, like the whole thing about share of search, if we think that, I mean, for us telling people we have a metric that has a correlation to true business results. Yeah. That's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, because people have been talking about metrics for marketing forever and everything goes back to like performance and attribution and uh, that other short-term kind of perspectives. Mm. But saying we have something that we can look at branding and see how that, you know, correlates to future sales. Sounds kind of strange when you say it loud. So if you think about that and say, okay, but that's a problem i given up that it could be solved, we as a company have to kind of educate the market or kind of inspire them to like, you know what, you can actually solve it. This is really cool. Mm. And I think that's kind of the challenge for most companies, at least when they innovate. Then they have, of course, when you're second or third to the market, it's more about filling a gap. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, but then what might happen with a company is that, of course, if you fill the gap and you don't have a new product, mm. you have a problem, you know, for, for your future growth. But if you go back to the matching then of a purpose, I think it comes back to that. So what you can do is, of course, use the search data to understand what problems people are wanting to solve or yeah. being entertained or whatever it might be. Mm. And it comes back to an hypothesis, right? What are we looking for? Mm. And then can I, as a company, match, match that? that? And I think if you think about it, what SEO, SEM people do, it's exactly, exactly that, right? Mm. You're like, are people searching for milk? Let's buy that traffic and get them converted to, say, a website about milk. Mm. And here's the same thing. The only thing is that we want to look at from an insights point of view, like, okay, we don't want, maybe, we want probably more find the words that have low volume in searches, but to see if they're going to grow together so that we have time to match yeah. that solution. Yeah. Or, of course, if it is high volumes of search terms that have not been matched and you as a company can provide that yeah. as a solution, mm. then you have, of course, a much faster, how you say, product market fit with your purpose as a company, with the needs of a consumer. Yeah. And I, so, so I think 
as long as we talk about purpose in that sense, I think it's fine. I think the problem is if you have a company, say an oil company, saying I want to do the world better. <laughs> like maybe they want because I mean the pur- I mean they want me to move from A to B. So in a sense, it, yeah, they're right. I mean, I mean, thanks to the oil companies, I can travel. So they've actually made the world more democratic, more open, due to the fact that we can move. But if you think about it now from a like environmental point of view, it would feel like mm. nah, yeah, <laughs> nah. It's all about the definition and how you kind of the context of how yeah, exactly. you claim things or how you say things. Yeah, no, but it's interesting, and also then how the share of search, mm-hmm. for example, would differ if you do other things branding wise. Mm-hmm. So, and it's interesting. We just talked about that with another brand the other day, um, a client of ours. The, the thing of giving up because mm-hmm. it is an issue. People do have a, a problem, but you innovate, as you mm-hmm. said. So you provide something completely new. So no one would actually search for it because you've given up on searching yeah. for it, basically, because there is no solution. Yeah. But dun, 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 enter the solution. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of education, but then also how emotionally to connect to something that is, again, a real problem, but a given up on problem, potentially. It's quite interesting. And and I think for you guys, for example, if you think about you working with a client and you say, all right, we have this client who has this purpose going to the market and these are the reasons for existence or, you know, why the company came about in the first place. Mm. You guys working with the communication, I mean, the whole, if you think about from a funnel point of view, it's about first, okay, did we create the attention enough so that people got interested and got understood that there's someone out there that can actually help me and there's a good match and a good fit. And then you will see that result with the search data before your client might even see it in cash or, yeah, absolutely, or yeah. new members or whatever the business yeah. you know objective that they have is. And I think that's, the, for me, the really cool thing now with share of search and search as a kind of metric is that as a company or not even a company, it can be an organization or you as a person you know that have a purpose and you want to create attention around it, and then you want to see, okay, is it converting? Mm. But you won't see it maybe until six months from now. And a lot of times what happens, we give up, right? Because we are like, oh, no, it didn't work. Mm. Yeah. And the only thing we know, right, is that the moment you are bored of yourself, you have to do it like 10 more times. <laughs> yeah. Because that's when it's going to start penetrating to the rest of the world. And I think in that sense, following search data, it's a very easy way for us, I think, as humans, but also, say, in this sense, consultants or whatever it might be, to not give up because yeah. we can see that we're creating traction. Indicating, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, get, then you get an indicator that you can use to kind of feel that you're doing something good. Because mm. I think that's the hard part, I think, sometimes. I think I normally take it like when people are trying to w- lose weight mm. and they step on the weight and they don't see anything happen. Yeah. And they give up. Well, a lot of times, maybe if they would have done it instead of standing on the weight, they could have used, you know, a metric to look at their shoulders yeah, or, or yeah. using, the, they would have seen that maybe a they shift just, is a starting. shift is starting anyway, yeah. so they would have felt good about themselves. Mm. And I, we forget sometimes, we, I think we rationalize companies, but they are people that are driving change within those companies. And they also need emotional kind of metrics to feel that they're moving and doing progress. Yeah. And I think that's why you need metrics, right? Because if not, because then you have something rational to kind of hold on to. And I think that's kind of what I think is interesting with search, that it's so immediate in a way. 
that you can have something to look at. Even if you're working with something long-term, you can see it here and now if it's mm. working or not. It's real and it's direct. Exactly. And I think that's kind of how we, with our goldfish memories are, we want to see stuff here and now. If not, we, mm. we get bored. And, we need some instant gratification. Humans have a lower attention span than goldfishes. Do now. we? We have a lower what? attention span than a goldfish. Imagine that. That is depressing. That is so depressing. Yeah. Why is it depressing? I think it's actually really good. I mean, is it good? Why Why do you think it's good? Because imagine with everything shit that is happening. Sorry. <laughs> with the world going to hell. <laughs> and we still, you know, are happy. Some people are. <laughs> I think yeah. the majority, I mean, I'm not saying, but the majority are living. And I mean, there's, and I don't, but they're saying like in some areas we would expect them to be unhappy or normally the most happy because they've kind of are happy with what they have. Uh, and and I think that's kind of what these happy index have seen, that a, a lot of times in like hard striving countries or communities are the most unhappy because we're just looking for the next kind of mm. kick. Yeah. But the ones that are live here and now, and I think if we didn't have a gold less than a goldfish attention span, we would just be so depressed <laughs> that they have to go up again. Uh, I'm just feeling, because of myself, when you said the goldfish thing, I that is me. It One thousand percent. I have like no, fo- like I I can barely focus anymore. Like, I've never really been that good at focusing, but you know, I just sometimes wish that I had like a bigger attention span that I could focus on things that I would also see things around me because I really don't. It's just here and now and in front of my face. And I've also always thought that with all the, this is getting very sad, but with all the depressing things happening, it's also that we get used to it. You know, we're used to all these negative things just kind of get coming numbed. into our lives. So, we, yeah, so we get numb. So I've never thought of it as like the goldfish attention span thing. I, I was just thinking we were getting numb to all the <laughs> sad shit happening in the world. I, I think, I don't I don't know how sad, I mean. It's not that sad. It's also great things happening. Yeah, and and I, I think um, if you just look at us as humans, I suppose that we, we I think sometimes we have an overbelief in our capabilities and i think the good thing with understanding that our mind can't be everywhere also i think it's good and, yeah. I, and i think i think however the challenge has been that sometimes we think we are super have superpowers yes and then we kind of have over expectations of what mm. we could do yeah and at the same time uh, and i think i think about that when you read about these you know these are what these super leaders do. They sleep two hours. And oh, they, they don't do even yoga. sleep anymore, <laughs> you know? They're just constantly awake. Like, but aren't you dead? <laughs> yeah, right. They try not to sleep, not to eat, and just work. Good. Perfect. Now, I think that it, it depends on how you're wired, and this is a completely different conversation, <laughs> but still very interesting in how you kind of compare and compete. So if you if you're wired to... Like then try to be like those super entrepreneurs, for example, who has that like up by 4 a.m. and then have this ritual and then it's sharp as fuck at work and then work out as well and also have a happy partner, some kids and then whatnot. That's just not humanly possible in the 24 hours of a day. So again, like what you do or what you claim to do is two different things. Yeah. But then also following people because it's so easily consumable today. So you have those people, they want to like, wow, want to achieve that. But also then you have the fitness influencers, the fashion influencers, the stay-at-home parent influencers. You have all these different kind of experts or leaders of a lifestyle that 
but then you consume 15 of those people a day and you compare yourself with all of those 15. And that's, if one is humanly impossible, then 15 of them is like, and that's what people do. So people get so haunted by like, oh, I don't look like that person, but that person work out as a fucking living. Of course you don't because you have another job and interests and whatnot. So that's just strange as well. So then three seconds or whatever it is, shorter than a goldfish, is quite useful. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And that's probably why we search for everything. Because we, because don't, we don't remember attention. stuff and we don't pay attention. So then mm. we have to go to San Google and, you know, yeah. look for the information. So I think that's why we then can observe. So back to you, if we circle back and we ask ourselves, okay, all of this conversation that went kind of not about brands or not about, but it was actually more about human behavior. Yeah. And you asked me, like, will you be more conscious about how you search in the beginning of the conversation? I think the challenge is that what is so magical with search engines is that, you know, just a finger tap away, you have information and knowledge that you don't have to have in your head. You can just look for it. And I think as long as that value exchange is there, Mm -hmm. you will keep on searching. But then the question is, well, are you prepared to pay for it? Yeah. Maybe not, because you kind of take it for granted. And as long as the search data or the data is not used in a bad way, I think people are going to be okay with it because we trust the policymakers to do something about it. And I mm. think, for example, look at Cambridge Analytica that made, for example, that Google no longer gives away a lot of data due to that fact. I think mm. they still give away too much data. But anyway, but... That, I, I think, also made people, of course, aware, but also we people kind of are, in the, depends who you ask, I think, trust too much on the policymaking, mm. whilst we actually should, of course, take more responsible responsibility in what we ask from these data technology companies that mm. then are using that data to sell, I mean, to third mm. party, like my own company, that we use it. And I think the biggest risk we have is, of course, that if we start to allow people in our tool to use the data for bad purposes, that's going to be a risk for our own company in the future. Yeah. Because if too many people are using this type of data to do bad stuff, that's going to lead to that the policymakers will make it harder for us to get this data. So I think... How can it, you control that, though? Can you? Like, if someone bad? uses it for bad, can you control that somehow? I, I think it comes back to, like, the control. Uh, how do you um, like the policies you have of usage of, I mean, if you think like in our tool, I mean, we could start seeing like, for example, if people are starting to search maybe for terms or stuff that are illegal per yeah. se and mm-hmm. building trackers around that, that's something already you can classify. And, you know, at the same time, it's, it's a very fine line of what we can allow based on freedom of speech, mm. or freedom of you know, thought and everything like that, because it, it's a very, very fine line of what is criminal or ethically bad or morally bad. And again, who decides what is what? Who plays God as in this sense? Now, current laws in Sweden, I would assume, for you as a business. And then, yeah, and but there's still some like gray areas, I guess. Yeah. There always will be. And, and I think that was, that's the thing, right? When technology moves faster, than the actual law which it does changing uh, i mean and yeah, I, that's the thing we have another company that has uh, works um offers cybersecurity services mm-hmm. basically and that's also a thing where all innovation and how digitalized we are and how connected we are it's as much risk as it is solutions mm-hmm. if you want to let's say 
all the cyber attacks we read about mm-hmm. daily now. But if you want to, you can really harm a society that is that connected, for example, or all the innovation. So as soon as we have a new innovation or a new way of using data mm-hmm. or a way of using insight, the protection needs to kind of co-develop and coexist from whatever we want to protect it from. And that might be different from you uh, with your kind of point of view than another person. But protect innovation and protection of that innovation mm-hmm. or freedom of that in- innovation kind of needs to coexist which is it's not currently you don't you can't you don't look at it like that because we're kind of too in swedish blue-eyed about the situation but we don't we don't take the risks as seriously as we potentially should i think here we i mean if you think about it, as marketeers we have a huge responsibility of acting from a like moral standpoint and i think ethical standpoint in together with the companies that we help. And I think from our point of view, it's up to you guys how you use our tool with the data and how it's used. But what we can do as a tool maker is basically inspire to use it for greater good and not do it only to exploit people's wallets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in the end, of course, as I've said, if a company's purpose is to make money, they will want to find insights on how they can make more money, yeah. right? And I think the same thing goes with if you have a purpose, why do you do that? Because you want those people to pay for your services and find it well-spent money with you instead of a competitor. Mm. But I, I think in that sense, we as marketeers, we have that responsibility of being able to move companies on how they take stuff into the market and how they speak to people and how we look at people. Because I think Mm. we we talk about stereotypes, but who created the stereotypes? It was the marketeers because we wanted to find ways of selling stuff to people. So we started to look for segments or we started to, you know, build demographics and stuff like that. So I think it's been because we've been able to, thanks to technology Mm. and data, that we've been able to build these stereotypes or these segmentations and, you know, and I mean, it's been done, unfortunately, through the whole history that we've measured, you know, yeah. people and we've been wanting to understand. But I think in the beginning, it started with curiosity. Yeah. And then, of course, that curiosity is like everything. It can be used in good so many good and bad ways. Yeah. And I think for me, at least, I think if we can use the data and a tool like my telescope to find out insights and use them in a positive way mm-hmm. and have that in a, as a mindset, I think the world can be much better because yeah. we can do something together. I think at the same time, if we go back to the goldfish thingy, is that we are so much in our own world. So sometimes we tend to forget to that what we are doing might be another perspective around us that might get hurt mm. of the stuff that we do. And I don't think we do it on purpose, but no. we just don't think about it. it and happens. I think with data, you can actually enhance the understanding of what's happening around you and hopefully take better decisions that makes the world better, but also maybe makes your company make more money and at the same time makes employees and others to be happy working in your kind of company and stuff like that. So I suppose that my belief is that the more information you have, the more knowledge you have, the better decisions you will be able to take and the better person i hope that you can be as well because you at least haven't if you use that knowledge you can kind of understand of where the world is going and try to act as good as you can within have a positive impact within the information that you have because i mean if you don't have information you kind of 
well, maybe it's good as well as a kid. You just act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. And with those words, we've been recording for 52 minutes, guys. Oh, wow. Time flies. It really does. Yeah. yeah. So I think we have to wrap it up. Do you have any last words? What's in the future for my telescope now? We we are focusing very much in, in, in expanding and in going into the U.S. So that's kind of where we want to be uh, from, from our point of view. Uh, and the reason for it, the, the land that, that invented brands they should be the ones running the metric. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's kind of, that's what we are doing. We're also more and more kind of working together with partners to validate the search data. So if you have any use cases or stuff that you want to run with us as a like research to kind of validate and find the exact correlations, that's something we very much appreciate because I think as we serve this metric, you also need to do the research in parallel to show how strong the metric actually is, because I think it's just in the beginning still of the growth. And we know that it works for some categories. Like, I think we have like 20 industries that we know for sure that it works. Mm -hmm. And we think that it works everywhere. But to prove that we need more use cases. So that's my open ask, like go out and test search data and run correlations with sales data to prove yeah. that it works. Yeah. Cool. Of course we will. Of course we will. I was like, of course you will, Anna. <laughs> that's more me than you. Yes. <laughs> that's more you. Yeah, definitely. 100%. I've still felt like I kept up pretty good in this conversation. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for coming, Rodrigo. It was so good to have you here. And um, maybe you'll be back. Who knows? And maybe I'll host you if I put up my podcast in the future. Oh, yes, please do. But not in Spanish because, oh, I don't know. If I but can we do can, that. then we can work with Google Translate. And yes, we'll just do it. yes. <laughs> that would be an interesting episode. Well, thank you so much for this. It was great talking to you and um, we hope to see you again. Thank you so much for having me and have a great life day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for this month's episode. We'll be back in just a few weeks with a brand new topic, another inspirational guest, but, you know, same old Fresh Me crew. Before you turn my lovely voice off, make sure that you subscribe, share, and comment. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. I've been your host, Rosanna, and until next time, stay fresh. Stay fresh.